Welcome to the Table Dallas podcast. At the Table Dallas, we create a sacred space to worship, connecting our stories with the story of God as revealed in scriptures. We invite you now to listen to this week's discussion. All right, welcome everyone to the Table Dallas. We're glad you're here in person, and there's a lot of us here in person. And we're glad that you're here, and whether you're joining us today live here at the Table Dallas, here at Mill Street House, or around the world during uh, using our podcast, we're glad you're here as we journey, continue to journey with Luke. And this morning we're in Luke chapter uh, 18, verses 1 through 8, where uh, most of uh, what we, most of your Bibles will have it uh, laid out for us as uh, something to do with persistence in prayer. That's what the parable is about in Luke chapter 18. So while you're turning there, we continue as we continue in the journey. You'll, we're about complete um, following Luke there. Um, what's left after this is that Jesus warns the disciples about what's about ready to happen to him when he does arrive in Jerusalem. We have the healing of a blind man near Jericho. We have Luke's version of Zacchaeus in Jericho and Luke's version of the parable of the talents. And he has kind of an eschatological, which is a big fancy theological terms for the study of future things. So he has a he has a real take on the parable of the talents as it relates to future things. But this morning we're faced with another one of uh, Jesus's parables that is unique to Luke. There are sixteen, I think sixteen. It was either twelve or sixteen. Forgive me if I remember exactly. Don't text me later and say it was sixteen and you said twelve. It's one. Of, it's multiple. It's a dozen or more that are unique to to Luke. Um, and we've already seen a bunch of them uh, that cause us to scratch our head, right? And I think some of that's, if not all of that, some of that for sure is by design, right? Uh, parables are supposed to make us think, but in all honesty, some parables make us think more than others, right? We think that some are pretty straightforward and easy to understand. This morning we look at one of those parables um, where it's set in just a certain city, another one of Luke's favorite, like a certain man, a certain city, a certain place, and that's where we are this morning. That's the setting for Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. So somebody, if you would, just go ahead and read it for us out loud. This is uh, the Common English Bible, which is what we use here at the table. 1 through 8. Jesus was telling them a parable about their need to pray continuously and not be discouraged. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him asking, Give me justice in this case against my adversary. For a while he refused, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or respect people, but I will give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise, there will be no end to her coming here and embarrassing me. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he be slow to help them? I tell you, he will give them justice quickly, but when the human one comes, will he find faithfulness on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Alright, so right away, we notice that our primary interpretive task is already done for us by Jesus, right? How so? Our 
primary interpretive task is already done by Jesus. How so? Pray continuously and don't be discouraged. He says, right at the outset, right Dan? Right at the outset, he says, this is what this story is about. I'm going to already tell you, before I even tell you the story, this is about, right, praying with persistence, right? Be persistent in your praying, all right? So here's my question. Why do you think this time Jesus chooses to tell us the reason behind the story before he even tells the story? Although I don't read it as a... That's him saying that's what they should do. I read it as a descriptor. Okay, so he's tell me what you mean. Because it says he's telling them a parable about their need. Like, they have a need to, to keep asking continuously. Okay. And don't want to be discouraged. Okay, so he's telling them a story to help encourage them in that process? Is that what you're saying? To encourage them? It sounds them? descriptive to me, not... Okay. So, Jesus telling them the parable about... It's not in red. So, like we're saying that Jesus is saying that yeah, like it's like Luke editorializing saying this okay. is what this parable is about. Interesting. Yeah. Alright, that's an observation I had not picked up on. I don't I don't maybe I should be paying more attention to the red letters. Uh, I don't know. So you could call it yeah, editorial Luke. Maybe Luke's giving us a break. Because if you look at what Jesus told us the story. And you look at the introduction, whether it was editorialized by Luke or whether it was Jesus and it just wasn't a quote, he was paraphrasing, so he couldn't, you know, it was the difference between paraphrasing and, and quotations. Either way, right, it doesn't seem as though the two things seem to fit together. Because there's not a word anywhere in that section about prayer anywhere, is there? Nothing, right? So, um, we're still confused, right? So is it possible that giving us the interpretation before the story, by doing that, he actually makes it more difficult for us to interpret? If so, how? He influenced the uh, narrative of the story by starting it off with that. So it's interesting that you get that sense that some, you're being guided somewhere, right? You're being handled, it feels like, right? And obviously, that's a challenge, right, to make sure that, okay, are these things related? Because it seems like he's doing it to connect them, but it's still like, yeah. In verse 7, Jesus says, Won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Isn't the crying out praying? Could be. Certainly could be. So you could say that there, obviously there's a connection here. There must be, right? If, if, it's in, if it's in Scripture and Jesus is commenting on it, then obviously we're going to have to figure out what's the connection, right? We know that Jesus is a master storyteller, and he often uses contrastive language. We've also seen him use all kinds of language that's, um, that we have to kind of like, oh, is that like way over, what's that word when you use something that's over the top? Sorry? Hyperbole. Hyperbole, yeah, he's, he's very good at using hyperbole. He's also good at using contrastive language. And he sets us up here by contrasting what the judge does not do and what the widow does do. All right, so let's take a look at that, right? Let's think about the judge now. And my assertion is that he's described by what he does not do. All right, so what textual pieces lend credence to that assertion. Do you see any? In verse 4, okay. that he didn't listen, he ignored. Her. All right. 
So he did not listen. What does it say exactly in verse 4? He refu- Was it he refused? For a while he refused. For, so he refused or he did not listen to? What else? He didn't fear God. He did not fear God. What does it mean to fear God in this context? He's not worried about any repercussions from him. So he, he's, not, he's not afraid of God. He almost gives us the sense that this judge is outside of Judaism or faith. Would you get that sense, right? Because Jews would be described as either fearing God or not fearing God, right? So you get the sense that this judge does not fear God. Meaning he doesn't really answer to what? Anyone other authority, right? It's just him. What else? Or respect me. Sorry? Or respect man. And he doesn't respect man. What do you think that means? He doesn't have compassion. He doesn't have what? Compassion. No compassion? What else? He doesn't have to care what anyone thinks. Yeah, so it's kind of an extension of the the first part, right? Not only does he not care about what God or any other being, right? He also doesn't care about what any other human being thinks about him or his judgments. Is that fair? Well, he kind of contradicts himself later on because he says, uh, uh, yeah, the lady was embarrassing him. So he does kind of care what other people think. He doesn't want people to think that he cares. Okay, that's an interesting point. Well, there's the, the idea between, uh, between values and actions or attitudes. Okay. So he values himself as being above others. But through persistence, that shows that that's not actually what he does. And it's interesting because that word regard, or is, is it the one that we use? What, what have we translated? Because in, in Greek I translated it regard. He does not respect. respect. That's a good word for it, respect. He doesn't, the actual translation in Greek is, when I did it, was something like he doesn't um, suffer shame. Like, or it's not like the same as suffering fools. It's like he doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, he has no shame. He has no shame, and he won't allow anybody to shame him. That's the setup. So here's this. So he's a picture, kind of like a tough guy, right? So what impression? What impression does this give us about the judge? We've hit some of them, but let's recap. What are some of the impressions then that we have about him? So we had, the, who said arrogant? Yeah, arrogance. You have the idea of arrogance. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. I don't care about God. And, oh, by the way, all the things that come from God, like the rule of law, so to speak, and all of the determinations of what's moral and right and just, because she's asking for justice, right? You think justice is related to your belief about what, what God says is right and wrong? Right. So he's got an arrogance to him. What else? Say whatever he's ending up doing is not for the quote unquote right reason, but for selfish reasons. Right. So self centered and arrogant? He's, he's self serving. He's only interested in his own comfort because some of the other translations say, like, I'm wearied by her. Yeah. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's a great, the Greek word is awesome, but we'll get to that in just a minute. What else? Callous. Callous. Huh. So, that's a good word. So would we expect a judge like this to be helpful to someone seeking justice? Why or why not? Only if it's in his best interests. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's a... So there's a whole bunch of questions about, well, how does someone 
yet to be a judge in, but of course it doesn't say it's in Israel, it just says a certain, you know, we're in a certain city, there's this judge, right? So we do wonder how he got in office, regardless of whether he is a, he's a, you know, a righteous Jew or not, which apparently he's not, right? What else? Whether well, about justice for the woman, but what if she's the one who's doing the wrong, and, and she's just being in pain? Yeah, so you, you, Part of that thing, and we'll get to that, just hold that thought for just a minute because we're going to talk about her, and that's a great observation. Hold that and remind me of that when we get to it because we're going to have to look at her too because there's two main characters here. But I just want to make sure that we understand, um, would we expect a judge like this to be helpful to someone seeking justice or not? Probably not. Well, I won't say that not because I've seen like he's only Right, so what, what what actually motivates him finally to act? Get her out of her yeah. Is that is that the phrase we use? <laughs> it's so funny because we start um, we have to start when we start getting ready to head over to Uganda or when you're traveling anywhere, we have to realize how much of the colloquialisms that we use. And I'll say something like that, and Michael will go, yeah, and I just wanted to get her out of my hair, and then just give you this blank look like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is she in your hair? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, because every culture has their own, right, unique things. Oh, no, yeah, well, that, yeah. So in this case, you think just because she just keeps doing it? Well, because he was saying she embarrassed me. Yeah, it's interesting because the Greek word that he translates there, that annoying me, or depends on your translation, is literally translated as, she's giving me a black eye. So what does that mean? How does that help us? Well, it makes it seem like he's not doing his job, because if he was, she wouldn't keep coming back. Okay, what else? It's like an embodiment of everything you're doing, because everyone else can see that, that everyone's phone. Certainly have to hit on that in a minute when we turn our attention to the to the widow. So the black eye, figurative language for what? Yeah, so yeah, she she's a beatdown. <laughs> but there's that other piece that goes with it. A black eye is also noticeable, not just what yeah. yeah, but you know, what it's one thing to get hit, right? And just be constantly being pummeled by someone. The black eye is like what, Holly? Let's everybody know. Yeah, like, that yeah, you see, lost that fight. Yeah, yeah, you know, and then this translation is like, yeah, you should see the other guy. <laughs> so it's this idea that by her continued persistence, her annoyance, her never going away, right? That it's become something that's given him a black eye in public on his reputation. The thing that he said at the beginning was described as, I don't really care about it. Suddenly, he's like, this is getting so bad that I'm going to do something. I'm just going to just be like, I'm just going to. That's what motivates him to act, right? I'm so tired of this black eye or continuing getting this black eye. I'm just going to give her whatever she needs and ask for, yeah. right? So that she'll what? Get out of my hair. She'll leave me alone, right? <clears throat> is that fair? It could be that that's also bad for business. So, like, he's trying to keep his clientele or trying to keep being a judge. Okay. And he can't do that with this 
this lady constantly nagging. Just keeps coming back and back and back and back. The implication is that he never gives her what she believes is due her, and he just kind of. Do you get the sense that he just blows her off? Yeah. There could also be the perception that he's lazy as a judge, because if if. You know, if her social status as a widow, it means it's less important. So I can keep pushing this off, and it's not that big of a deal because I don't really care about the other guy. I don't care about her. But what's marring his reputation is that he's continually pushing it off, and she's speaking out about it. Well, yeah. he's, she's also bringing attention to it, mm -hmm. where he might be wanting to just kind of like. But go below radar or whatever, and she's like pointing him out. This judge is not helping me. You get that sense, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I'm wondering if he ever ruled on her case, and she wasn't satisfied with the ruling, so she keeps appealing it, and, and, and so it makes it seem like that his word is not final. His judgment is not it's possible. It's possible that he he chose he he never ruled at all. Or he ruled it, and you're reading it as she keeps keep going back and appealing that. And we'll hit on that in a minute. Yeah, that's a that's a good observation. I was just listening to a podcast actually about this, but it was more of the stance of like male versus female statistically, and statistically males when we think of when they think of justice, it's on an equal like equality term of like man to man. So like, what would be fair, man versus man? Whereas women think of it more on the moral terms of what's good for everyone and a community-based kind of thing. What's right for morality for everyone? Gotcha. For me. Yeah, that's I, good. David, I think we need to look at, at justice, not from her perspective, but for, from the judge perspective. Yeah. What's he going to consider as a just? Right. What's he going to base it on? To her, yeah. That's good. Which, it could be a, a negative right. sentence. Could be. Not in her faith. That is correct. Right, but do you get a sense that he's made that judgment or hasn't yet? That he just keeps pushing her off or that he's done it and she doesn't like it so she keeps appealing? I'm not sure. I look at him, he's just not giving her what she wants. Right. So she, the widow, is described in terms of what she does do. Right? So what's the textual support here for that assertion? What was the question again? Well, she's, uh, the widow is described in terms of what she does. How do we see that in the text? What's the textual support for that? A widow who kept coming to him. So she keeps coming to him. What else? But coming to him to where it's a bother. So it gives you kind of a level of annoyance. Well, from his perspective, for sure, he describes it as being a bother. Do you think she feels like it's a bother? It's a bother. It's like when you have to keep calling the insurance company. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, so the picture here is she's a widow. What do we know about widows in that day and time? They're poor. So that potentially, that's a good word, potentially they're poor. What would make them poor, specifically? What would make them poor? No one to take care of them. Dying without a... Children. Yeah, so without children. So if she's married and doesn't have children... Then the property doesn't pass from her husband to her. It passes to Family. his next of kin, the brother, right? So you get this sense that if maybe she doesn't have kids or her kids are little, like all of this is built into the story. So the original here is here, a widow in Israel, and they're thinking vulnerability, 
at the mercy of let's call it men at the mercy of the the goodness or the the um, righteous actions of someone like a judge who could look at a situation and say all right here's all of the details of this and therefore I can rule this way or this way but at this point we don't know if the widow's claim is a just one or not do we I wonder if the judge ruled against her in the first place and she's coming back to like possible retrial well, I don't think he gave a judgment at all because it said he, for a while he refused. So I think he's just now giving the, the judgment. That's how I take it, but I could I could be wrong. It's like he, she keeps coming and saying, I need you to, to, to look at the facts here and render a judgment. And he's saying, uh, I, I don't want to take it. So what do we do? That We call that in the court system, right? They they refuse to take the, the case. Set a continuance. <laughs> Well, a continuance means they're acting on it. Either dismiss it or choose not to take it. Yeah. But it, it does read because it immediately follows that she was asking, give me justice, and he refused to give her justice. <coughs> so in her, whatever it is that she saw as justice, are you suggesting that it, it was everyone who would look at it would see it as justice, and he's refusing to do that? I mean, later in the passage, he says, I will give this widow justice. Like, there's never really any indication that there's any disagreement on what justice is. It's just like, he's been withholding it, she's been asking for it, he finally concedes to give it. But there's really no indication that there's any discrepancy about what justice is or whose perspective it's from. I mean, it seems to be... It's so Because it doesn't say, but I will give her what she wants. So I, the only thing that I'm seeing with that is that in, in verse 6, it says, listen to what the unjust judge says. Yeah. And that's the only thing that I can see that implies yeah. that the, the wrong ruling had been passed justice. beforehand, and he is since changing his decision to giving her a, 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 proper, a proper... Or maybe it's unjust to withhold justice, just mm -hmm. the fact that he's withholding mm -hmm. it altogether. True. This all strikes me as the same hyperbole as the, like, would a father give his kids a snake? Like, of course the father would give you red if you ask. Like, this is sort of the same thing. Like, even if you have an extreme judge who doesn't care about doing the right thing, like, if you just bother him enough, just you'll eventually get the right thing. And how much more will God, who does love justice, yeah, and, and that's when we get to that. That's our next task here in just a minute to jump, to jump into the interpretive piece of it because, you know, starting in verse 7 and 8, we have that piece. But one last thing um, do we see um, Do we see the widow's, can we call it persistence? Is that a good word? Um, do we see this as a positive trait? In the story, as a negative trait, as something else, how do we see it? The judge sees it. Yeah. Well, we know the judge does. <laughs> Certainly, that's good. Right. I mean, I think both end. Right. I mean, she is persistent enough to finally get judgment. However, because of her persistence, that he's an unjust judge. We don't know what that judgment was. Correct. Right. I mean, yeah. like she she could have pushed him to the point of like dismissing her altogether with a judgment. That's true. I think we need to look at the comparison in terms of the answer to the last question. And when we get, yes, with the, yeah, so it's so interesting. Let's, let's go ahead and jump there, right? Well, yeah, let's go ahead and jump there um, because I think you're right. The, the task of interpretation 
normally, we're not, we're not given it at the beginning like we are here, right? So we know that somehow this is connected to somehow about the need to pray continually, right? And so it, it seems, though, the natural, and I think Daniel hit on it, um, like hit the nail on the head, when he's like, all right, it just seems so obvious that it's contrastive, right? So if this unjust judge with enough persistence, enough nagging, enough black eye work will end up giving you justice, how much more will God, who is arguably completely just, right? Why would he not give you justice right away? I mean, that's the natural, that's the easy, can I just say that might be the lazy? Not that it's wrong, but that's the lazy, it's just like, okay, boom, that's what it means. But look at seven, because I think that's what Ray is hitting at. Well, part two of seven he's hitting at here. Uh, Actually, verse six. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. What did the unjust judge say give her justice because she keeps bothering me otherwise there'll be no end to her coming here and embarrassing me so let's let's follow that contrastive language and say okay so the lesson here is our prayer should be giving god a black eye sufficient enough black eye to where he feels like he has no choice But to give out justice. That's a legitimate... I mean, if we're just following that that piece. Now, first of all, um, how comfortable are we with... Well, I guess we have to assume that we're the widow, human beings, or people are the widows, and God is being portrayed by the... Wait a minute. Unjust judge. He's being contrasted against the unjust judge. So we have to read it as contrastive, right? Okay. But I think it's not totally. No, okay. That's a, go ahead. But I, I think it's an important distinction that it mentions she she demanded justice and he gave her justice. Not he gave her what she wanted. He gave her what she was entitled to by law. Yeah. And we are entitled to continue to request from God what we are entitled to by his word. Like if he, if he tells us that we are entitled to this commitment he has made with humanity, and it's okay to continue to ask, but if we're asking for things we're not entitled to, then it becomes nagging. That's an interesting piece, okay. Yeah, David. I think he's referencing the contrast is in the time frame. Okay. That, That the judge was slow to deliver justice but God will deliver justice quickly. When you get to when Christ comes to earth, will what will he find? Faithfulness or unfaithfulness? Okay. And so I think he's saying that you have to pray continuously for Christ to find a faithful following when you when arrive. I see. So you're so, uh, and I like where you're headed there. So you're you're shifting. You're saying that Luke is suggesting through the parable. The focus is less about um, 
on the judge and the actions of the widow, but more about the faith piece that's at the end of verse 8. When the faithful judge comes, who is Christ, right, the just one, the question is, will he find faith? That's an interesting take. I like that. Because if he finds faith, you will be accepted. If he, find, if he finds no faith, you will not be accepted, and both of those will be just in yeah. God's eyes. That's good. What else? I mean, is it, is it, is it something along this line of it's interesting because uh, let me let me kind of set it. I think it's um, the way he sets up seven. Let's go back and look at seven. This is the part that Ray that makes me wonder. It says, um, "Won't God provide justice to His chosen people who cry out to Him day and night? Will He be slow to help them?" The fact that he puts it in the form of a question instead of a statement, it's kind of like, "Well, God." Can God be slow in responding? I mean, if it was all about persistence and just you know, contrasting God to this unjust judge, then why not make it a statement? Look, God is not going to be like this. If you ask for it, you're going to get justice. When he opens, he kind of sets it up as a question like, is it rhetorical? No, but I don't know, is it? But God's timing, God's timing is God's timing and our not our timing. Right. No, and that's what I don't And if he, we if we want an immediate response, we don't always get it. He doesn't respond quickly often. Right. So oh, no. uh. I also think oh, I, had it I also think that what it seems to me is that they're asking for they're only praying about this one thing. Like you're not praying continuously about all things is when you're praying when you want something. So the widow wants something. And so she's persistent about that one thing, but she's not focused about anything else. And there, that may be her focus. And so I think it's saying, we can't just go and ask for this one thing because you can't build a relationship on, I always want, and I'm not really in communication with you. So it's just this one way communication, I want this. I want you to reply right now. When God says yes, no, or wait. So it's not that it's not an answer, it's yes, no, or wait. Yeah, a lot of times it's when we're talking about answer, it's we didn't get the answer either we wanted or were expected. Okay? But it doesn't, we're not talking just about responding, it's saying he will give them justice quickly. But will he? Will like, he? Give them justice quickly. Wasn't that the question? Was no, I tell you, he will give them justice quickly. Oh, which one is that? Which verse it, is that? Right after. It, right after that, right. And I'm like, but does he? Oh, he I, I don't know. But that justice could be wait. What's quickly? But that's not what yeah. justice means. Yeah, quick is a relative term. And different translations say faith or faithfulness or persistence in faith. Like, why do you have to be persistent if it's coming quickly? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because the Bible says, "Ask and ye shall receive." Mm-hmm. So easy to interpret the parables of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I really, I really, isn't it much simpler to just go with the default, which is, well, if persistence works with an unjust judge, I mean, how much more will our persistence work with our heavenly Father? And yet, I still think, I think, raise onto something. There's some somehow. There's a connection with faith to faith 
and the East Carriage. So I, I have a feeling that we're, because of the way everything was set up, and because of the way that we normally read parables, where we're looking at the characters, right? We get so focused on the character of either the widow or the unjust judge that when we get to eight, you get this little piece in there, and it's really like, okay, really, this is all about how much faith will you exhibit by being persistent, even when, even if the answer doesn't come as quickly, or it doesn't, or God doesn't deliver justice in the way that you think justice should be delivered. What do you think about that? I mean, when I when I think of like fear of God and respect, I in this parable I think of it in relation to God's covenant with His people. You know, does um, you know this judge did not respect God and His people as it related to the promises of God to the Jewish people and the Jewish law? And at the end, I mean, in my opinion, he's the question is okay. God's going to be faithful. The question is more of, will we? Yes. Will we be faithful? And you could argue then, will we be faithful in our administration of justice? Now that we're in, you know, that we're called, we're the covenant people of God. We're we're contrasting. Will we be faithful? Yeah. There's lots of there's several ways. There's several uh, avenues of interpretation that we could take, right? Which is one of the beauties of parables, right? It has multiple. Angles, right? What else? I'm, I'm much more comfortable with associating the unjust judge with us. That when people come to us with needs that we can't be bothered to help. Or, or when we do, it's not for the right reason. And so I think he's contrasting like faithfulness being image bearers for God. Are we being like the unjust judge in that we are slow to give justice? And we do it for the wrong reasons. Where it's done. I, I'm with you. I'm much more comfortable taking it down that interpretive path because I, I, you know, it's just when you when, when there's such a such an obvious contrast with God being, you know, it's like God and unjust. I don't care if you're viewing it flip flopped or otherwise. It's just that's a hard one for me to be like. Okay, so he's comparing God to an unjust judge. But by using that language of, I mean, like you said, there's covenantal language there. That's right. He doesn't, um, he doesn't fear God. All of that. And then you've got this widow, right, who's portrayed in Israel as the vulnerable, the needy, whatever else. Are you, when I come back, am I going to find faithful people who are treating people like these marginalized people the way they ought to be treated faithfully? faithful, or will I find a whole bunch of people who claim to be like the unjust, you know, who claim to be like, you know, uh, followers, right? But yet we treat the widows and the orphans, the most vulnerable, like you said, like they're an annoyance. Like, get out of my way. Here's five bucks so you'll quit washing my window. Or here's a couple of bucks so you'll stop rattling that, or here's five bucks so you'll stop you know, knocking on my door, whatever the case may be. I, I tend to want it to go down that, but that's my personal preference because I think the imagery there is so much more powerful as it relates to us. Faithfulness and persistence in living out our calling. And the, by the way, that does take prayer. 
Like, for patience to deal with that, to, to give ourselves time to deal with those who are vulnerable, who are needy, who are, you know, that's usually the number one problem, right? When we're dealing with someone who's vulnerable or in need, it's usually not that we don't have five bucks in our pocket or we don't have whatever resource might be needed. What are we wrestling with? I gotta make the time. I'll give you an example. I was telling Chris about this last week. You know, somebody came up to us, came up to me, and they were like, "My, you know, my uh, my wife and I were on the way to Florida. We we have to go here, 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 and we don't have any place to stay. Can you give me money for a place to stay?" And I've been in this business long enough to go. Oh, you need a place to stay tonight? Yes. I know a great hotel. Let me go get you a room for the night, which is exactly what I did. I had to stop what I was doing. I mean, I'm not saying this to puff me up. I'm just saying I had to stop, drive over there. And it would have been the same if it's, hey, we're hungry. Let me take you, not give you the money. Let me take you over and let's sit down and let's have a meal. That's the faithfulness, I think, that's being portrayed here. He's like, so when this human one comes, is he going to find a bunch of people who have been or are willing to do that? Because that's what covenant people are supposed to look like. That, I think, is a much better, a much, it's not better. I'm just more comfortable with that. <laughs> because I think it speaks to us now. And that takes time. That takes effort. And it does take prayer. Runs. Hey, make me be, let me be aware that's the prayer, right? Let me be aware today of an opportunity to stand with someone that I might just pass right by because I'm not paying attention, or I'm too focused in on whatever, or I don't care what any, I don't care about anybody else. Don't let me be like the unjust judge. Thanks for bringing us that way, right? Because I think that's that's fun. Any other final thoughts, Mike? I was, you know, I wasn't even thinking like. That, uh, where it was how faithful are we with people in the world. Um, but now that it's been discussed, it seems like that is a much more useful interpretation of this story because there may be some that would argue that why would you need to continually pray to God for the same thing? Didn't He hear you the first time? Doesn't He know what your needs are? Why, if you're faithful to him and you're belonging, he doesn't need to have you ask over and over. There are some that would say that. Um, you know, there's that old adage that goes something along the lines of, you know, uh, we're praying that God, would you take care of the, the widows, the orphans, the poor? And then we're like, why, why isn't anything happening? And God basically is like, yep. yep. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Right. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, act. Why are you waiting for me? You have agency. You can do it. Good. Well, well done. Are they getting any easier? No. <laughs> but just to get easy? No, they're not easy. But see, what I loved about this one is, it, what's different about this one is that it led us a certain way because of the way that Luke introduced, introduces it. Right? But I think without eight, if we drop eight out of that, like if it stopped at seven and there was no eight about faithfulness, then I think we're forced to a certain kind of interpretation. But with this, with that last question of eight, will he find faithful people on earth, makes us say, you're right. We're the, we have the potential to be the unjust judge. 
and dealing with the people around us who are the widows, the, the ones who were in need or most vulnerable in our society. Right? All right, we close each of our gatherings here at the table in the same way, by being obedient to Christ's command to remember his sacrifice on our behalf. We do that through the simple elements, the bread or the wafer that represents his body and the juice which represents his blood. In humility, we receive these elements with the words, the body of Christ given for you. And we dip that wafer and juice to the words, the blood of Christ shed for you. And then in that same humility, we turn and offer it to the person next to us. As always at the table, there's no judgment here. If you choose not to participate for any reason, just pass it along and we continue on around the table. Okay? This is the body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Table Dallas podcast. We invite you to join the conversation at one of our upcoming tables. To learn more about us, please check out our website at thetabledallas.com. And remember, we're saving a seat for you at the table. <laughs>